Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we're going Round Springfield. That was just awful. (laughs) (laughs) Maurice. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens when you're COVID lated, uh, COVID isolated. I'm trying yes. to think of a, I'm trying to make up a new word. COVID teamed. <laughs> I'd love a glass of COVID teen. Yeah, I think we're all going to forget how to talk to each other after this. We have no visual cues. We can't and this make is what worries me. Exactly. So you can't say the round Springfield together. And that's <laughs> and, and that's the biggest tragedy of this time. No, I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. Yeah, that truly is. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was going <laughs> to say it, but it's better coming out of your mouth. It certainly is. I'll get the cards and the letters. Who sends <laughs> cards and letters? Nobody sends cards and letters. Angry emails. They'll shut down my Twitter feed. Um, I, I Listen, I have had I have six people in my life get this thing and I've watched them get varying degrees of sick and it is a terribly worrisome thing. Everybody that I know is now on their way back from it. Oh, that's um, great. On the way up. But it was a tragedy and I did not mean to make light. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, of course not. Yeah, it's a mixture because, you know, I think a a lot of us, whether we are people who have podcasts or musicians or anyone who's working in some way in the entertainment uh, space, um, even just Twitter, it could be an interesting balance because you, on one end, of course, want to address like the severity of what's happening and the fact that people are dying, but you also want to help people feel better in a time where people are dying. And so, you know, it's a, uh, it's a kind of day by day, minute by minute, joke by joke, type of situation and, uh, and of necessity those those jokes have to you know at least try to cross the line into the dark side and come back because that's where that's where our right. humor is a defense mechanism against the darkness absolutely you know? by the way uh have we introduced your uh, guest today by the way just, <laughs> no just maurice could you could you introduce that was him really for awful again <laughs> no yeah, you're <it's>, perfect <laughs> <laughs> okay Hi, I'm Maurice LaMarche, and I'm your podcast guest today on (laughs) Round Springfield. (laughs) Maurice, you are a a favorite, a friend of the show, a friend of our our previous version of our podcast, Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, but now we are in the new version of our podcast. That old podcast is in the rearview mirror. We're onward and upward to bigger and better things. Um, But, you know, I just wanted to say that it's such a treat to have you on always well thank you i always i do feel like a friend of the show i feel like a friend of the stonecutters la yeah. uh, I, i'm a friend of i'm a friend of i'm a friend of the actual simpsons uh which is nice yeah uh, i get to appear on it every now and again and you know it's a friend i'm a friend of al jeans and mike reese's and and even matt graining so uh <laughs> yes even he's a hard man to guy. even matt graining it's really he's a hard guy to be friends with no he's not he's actually <laughs> he's a sweetheart he matt is just a sweetheart and uh yeah. I, you know i just my, my problem is every now and again i just turn uh you know we'll be having sushi or something like that and i'll just look at him and go holy fuck you're matt graining <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> you know and he just sees himself as a lucky cartoonist right and of course. you know and he just wants to keep creating and that's why he's you know done futurama and now disenchantment and he just for mm-hmm. him it's about the work you know 
I feel like that's a perfect way to segue into when we're talking about the work. I just want to say, so our new format of this podcast is everything but the Simpsons. It's all the wonderful things that, you know, people that are kind of in the Simpsons verse like yourself have done. And I just want to say, this isn't a podcast where we give out awards usually, but I feel like I should give you an award for the longest goddamn IMDb that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. (laughs) You have the longest IMDb, I think, of anyone. No. Um, So I, I feel, I mean... What's what's the competition like David Attenborough for like his narrations on documentaries? <laughs> I feel like you have such a robust um, just body of work. And, and, you know, I would just I know we're going to bounce around, guide us into the certain areas. But I feel like you've been I mean, if we were even to just start with like all of the 90s cartoons that were based on movies that were live action, but then for some reason they made an animated cartoon TV series. I feel like you've got a hold on those. I was very lucky to come along at that particular time, I have to say. Uh, You know, I didn't, I started working in animation. My first job was in 1979 on an Elvana uh, Toronto thing where, you know, where I'm from. Um, (laughs) And uh, they were, they were like, uh, you know, the, the up and coming, doing it different than the, you know, than the, the LA type studios that were cranking out Saturday mornings, Nelvana animated lovingly. And they did like one special a year. And I did their second special in 1979 called take me up. No, sorry. That was their third special. Easter fever came first. And that was the one where, uh, kind of got that miracle of hearing my voice come out of a cartoon character. Wow. Um, they'd seen me at yuck yucks, which is the, you know, comedy store of Canada. And, um, uh, the, the, Casting director Arlene Berman said, there's a scene in our new cartoon. There's a scene in our new cartoon where we have Don Rickles as a rattlesnake, Don Rattles, and Steve Martin as a, as a horse, Steve Martin, and you'd be perfect. And, and I'd already done Steve Martin in my act. So here I am. I'm, I'm t- barely 21. And I'm being, you know, pulled into a cartoon studio and voicing this special. I ended up playing like five parts in the show. And, um, it was it was amazing. Um, so from there, I promptly did their next special called "Take Me Up to the Ball Game," where I played one of the two leads as like a a squiggy character from you oh know, fun uh, yeah Laverne and Shirley, where intergalactic uh, baseball coach tries to cast a team with animals, and then I did <laughs> nothing till 1985. I moved to Los Angeles, and I was told that animation was a closed door. <clears throat> there's like 20 people doing it all and you're not one of them. So don't even bother. I was with one of the bigger agencies in town for on camera commercials. And I think I went on three auditions and booked nothing, but wow. I kept saying, can I meet with the voiceover department? And they were like, no, no, it's, it's okay. Rob Paulson's got it all locked up. So um, <laughs> he was their client since 1978 and still is. And so I, I, you know, I, I just said, okay, and then, you know, knocked around stand-up comedy and had a great time. I mean, I was on, on the road with Rodney Dangerfield and The Temptations wow. and Four Tops and George Benson and David Sanborn. The jazz guys liked me for some reason. I had a very easy, smooth act. So, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't offensive apart from one fuck out of the, out of the mouth of Yogi Bear. And other than that, 
I was a, I was I was I was a clean comic. So uh, yeah, I toured with a lot of jazz guys. It was great because it really upped my game in terms of my music appreciation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, I got signed with uh, the William Morris Agency both for personal appearances. And then my personal appearance and TV variety agent dragged the voiceover agent, Nina Nissenholz down and said, you got to see this guy does a million impressions. And she, you know, pretty much signed me on the spot and said, just, you know, don't do impressions, like start melding your impressions together, hybrid Mm. them, and you'll come up with original characters. So, you know, I immediately started just doing impressions (laughs) (laughs) on gadget on the specter gadget they needed to replace the chief because they moved the show from canada to la and i just looked at the big stash and went walter cronkite so did 22 (laughs) episodes the gadget is the chief and went right into real ghostbusters where they specifically said in the waiting room no impressions (laughs) we already have the guys if the guy if we wanted to make a show about we'd get you know, Bill Murray, and we'd get Harold Ramis, right. and we'd get Danny Aykroyd, who the Aykroyd and Ramis were executive producers on the cartoon. Right. And 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 I and so I walked into the booth, looked at Egon, and I didn't he wasn't colored in, so I didn't know he would have blonde hair. And so I just thought, well, I'd have no other ideas. So I did Ramis. <laughs> this could be extraordinarily bad for Slimer, dear. <laughs> it's a force five free rosing, free froming phantasm. <laughs> I have to stop myself from saying orgasm every time. I try <laughs> That's so interesting that they told you not to do impressions for something like Ghostbusters. No impressions. And then a week later, I got the call and 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 I walked in and Michael C. Gross went, I know we said no impressions, but you finished your audition. We went, he gets to do an impression. So I, <laughs> That's I kind of anchored it to the movie by sounding like Harold. And I Amazing. hear even Harold liked my impression of him. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking in within voice acting, especially for something based on a pre-existing property, they have this thing called sound-alikes when the original actors can't fulfill that role again. Right. That's actually always described, at least to me, like as a, a positive thing, because I guess it's from the production standpoint of like saving money. It just is so interesting to me that they were like making this hard and fast rule Maybe voiceover acting was thought of differently back then, or I don't know. Well, celebrities certainly certainly celebrities weren't quite hip to the idea that their kids and grandkids would think they were cool if they were in a cartoon. Yeah, you know, they were busy; they were on to the next film, and so they did. And, and in Harold's case, and in Dan Aykroyd's case, it's absolutely true. Of course, Bill Murray's they were they were just you know too busy, and you know they tried with planet with captain planet they really tried to have a full slate of big celebrities and they may have even started the ball rolling and i'll 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 have to chastise marcia goodman and andy hayward for that uh on the celebrity stunt cast (laughs) the original voice of captain planet was tom cruise what yeah he did five episodes oh my god marcia goodman who i have to just stop here and give her credit as my guardian angel, my discoverer. I mean, she, she's the one who decided I get to be in cartoons. She was the <laughs> casting director at Deke Enterprises, and she put me in everything in the 80s and 90s. And I paid her back by developing a drug problem and and, <laughs> and being late to every session and right. disappearing into the bathroom for half an hour between takes. <laughs> I, I, I got sober. I did get sober. I've been sober since since Reagan got on the plane, January twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, I was a fucking nightmare from 1985 to 1989. Somehow or another still worked because all the celebrities were busy. That's why. Yeah, the, the celebrity thing uh, is really interesting. Just, you know, just even in terms of The Simpsons, uh, for example, you have Dustin Hoffman doing a voice and going mm-hmm. by a different name in the credits. And um, <laughs> people were unsure about if they'd want to have their name associated with like cartoons, especially since, you know, The Simpsons had not, that was only in its second season. So it wasn't, you know, even though it was obviously uh, successful, like, who knew how long it would last and if that'd be embarrassing later. So it's really amazing how, um, you know, voice acting has evolved and devolved and evolved and gone through all these different ups and downs of um, how it's viewed by big studios or the masses. And Mm -hmm. one thing I found really funny in the newest John Mulaney special is the sketch where he's talking to a children's focus group and he is asking all the children, like, did it add to the movie that, you know, such and such big name, like Angelina Jolie was the voice of the giraffe. Um, and his kids don't care if it's like a, a celebrity that they don't know. Um, so I've, I've always thought it was so bizarre that someone yeah. who maybe doesn't bring a lot to the voice acting, um, you know, is cast when there are all these really amazing voice actors. And that's not always the case. I know we kind of touched on this last time you were on the show, but I've always thought that was so interesting. You get these huge stars that don't add anything. Yeah. If I ever get to meet John Mulaney, whom I respect tremendously as a comedian, I will give him a big kiss on the cheek for doing that. It was so great. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is, that, that it's, you know, at at least we've uncovered that, uh, you know, that, 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 that bit of, you know, the lie that, Somehow or another, it makes a difference. Listen, I said it on the last podcast. I'll say it again. You know, they have SAG cards. We mere voice actors have SAG cards. And therefore, we all, you know, are are available to work. But I, I also know that the strategy of the studios is those big names are so the parents will pay to come and see the movie too and actually be able to sit through it and go, oh, you know, there's... Tom Hanks. And by the way, I think Tom Hanks did a fantastic job, you know, in, in, uh, Polar in, Express. in Toy, Toy Story. Yeah. Oh, no, Toy Story. And Polar Express. I'm sorry. The, the virus has gotten and atrophied uh, my brain. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, there are some who can really do this work and some who are just kind of there because they think it'll put asses in seats in the theaters. Right. You know, right. now well, the theaters are going to be a thing of the past. Sure. Uh, Don't you. I'm I, I'm I holding know. out. Uh, <laughs> I, I already I wrote on Twitter that if AMC goes under, it's going to be the weirdest uh, series of Halloween stories that we will ever see uh, occupying yeah. the former, which is not going to happen. But this whole discussion, I mean, it, it makes me think of the whole Zendaya is Michi syndrome that we find ourselves in. I don't know if you saw that internet video. It's from a couple years ago. Um, but a uh, comedian uh, did a whole like musical number about, I think the movie was The Crudes and um, just sort of riffing on the marketing campaign for it where several posters were like, Zendaya is Michi, John Cena is Grongi and like all these things that and even in like the marketing language like First of all, I don't know who these original characters are, and I also like don't know how I can connect these celebrities I kind of know into 
some form of excitement for what's to come if I were to see this movie. And I agree. Like, I just think that the studios have gotten a little, like, too crazy with pushing, like, Tina Fey is a talking purse, you know? You're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, what what does she add? She's great, but what does she add, you know? So, yeah, I'm with you. I hope it changes. And the emphasis is always on is. Mm, you know, yes. Tina Fey is, is. a talking purse. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, she isn't. She's a, she's a working uh, she's a she's a working actor and a star. And she had a couple of days to go come do this so that her kids will go. Hey, mom, cool, you're in that cartoon. Right. right. At the end of the day, I do I know if it puts uh, Tushy's in in seats? I don't. But I also know there's a side of it because I've had a couple of casting directors confess to me. It's just really cool that I get I got to meet you know, Brad Pitt or, or, you know, I'm making, I'm pulling names out of my ass, but there's a star effing side to it too. You know, that, that's absolutely true. Something that's really funny though, is that there are huge like obsessives and fans over voice actors. And for example, Julie, I'm not sure if you were like this as well, but like I, my dad and I would kind of quiz each other on recognizing voices before it was so easy right. to look up on IMDb. And uh, I forget if I told the story, so uh, I, uh, forgive me if I did. But uh, when I was watching The Emperor's New Groove when it came out, one of the proudest moments of my life, I'm probably like 10 when that came out, there's a guy who says, uh, this old man who is thrown out of a building for throwing off the emperor's new groove and he says i threw off the emperor's new groove and i was just like i think that's john fiedler and my dad is just like oh my god and we kept <laughs> oh listening and he's just like yeah it is how did you know that and it was truly like you know it was the most proud i've ever been what was your frame of reference for John Fiedler's voice? What did you know him from prior to that? It's funny because it was because Piglet and the Twilight Zone. Um, oh, he plays yeah. uh, wow. the Night of the Meek. He's in that one. Is uh, yes, an amazing and the Santa Star Fox Trek episode. episode where where it turns out he's the Jack the Ripper. Uh, yes. Guy. Oh my! Yeah, he was. It's this something especially creepy when a little meek, oh, redheaded guy yeah. plays. <laughs> Well, I'm still impressed from Child Alley for that anecdote. I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, it was always really fun. Um, Big ups you know. for me too, Allie, by the way. Oh, Big ups good. for me. And I've been aware of John Fiedler since I was 10. Yeah. Uh, because I went up, I remember going to see The Odd Couple with my with my parents. Fun. And he, he was in that. And I just found his voice fascinating. Even as a child, I was always fascinated by voices. And stuff. It's kind of well, it's scratchy, but it's high. And I don't know how he does that. And so I've always listened for him. You know, the, the, the times oddly that I do find it fun to guess a celebrity voice isn't ever in a movie. It's in the commercial. That's when I'm kind of more like, oh, well, that's fun that they got uh, John Hamm to do this thing or that person to right. do this thing. But it only lasts the one time. <laughs> like, And it's not, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, all right. <laughs> That's yeah. good that he keeps making so much money. <laughs> right. You don't sit there going, I'll bet John Hamm uses that tax preparation service. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, exactly right. right. He doesn't have a $300,000 a year <laughs> business manager doing his taxes. <laughs> he uses the tax preparation service in that commercial where he's talking to the extra about how to prepare their taxes. Because John Hamm does that too. <laughs> Yeah. Now, now everybody at home, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And if you haven't already done your taxes, make sure you do it so you could get your $1,200 from the government. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> $1,200 dues. But we will be right back. Yeah. 
Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. And we're back. And we're back. What a great break. And we're back. <laughs> Maurice LaMarche is the guest. <laughs> the guest. Um, so, Maurice, while we're kind of like circling the late 80s and the 90s and, you know, like all of these really fun Saturday morning cartoon type shows, you know, I just want to pick your brain a little bit about what that experience is like for people that don't know um, the life of a voice actor. You know, what is the difference between coming in on a show and just being a guest star and doing your bit or when you have a recurring, is there wiggle room for you to sort of like uh, influence the character in a way or do you just go in crusty style, do your lines, get out? <laughs> Uh, uh, well, crusty style. Interesting. Uh, I did. I, I, <laughs> There's one scene in a Simpsons episode where he does that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were referring to the egg stains on my shirts. No. It like, doesn't matter <laughs> what decade I eat eggs in. Even my skinny 1980s. I always got <laughs> That'd food That'd be wild on my if shirt. I was negging you like that. <laughs> yeah, right? So for me, it was, it was back then, especially it was such a small community that it had grown from like 20 to like maybe 50 by the time I started working and everybody, you know, you walk into a new show, but Hey, there's Jim Cummings over there. And there's, there's, you know, uh, Rob Paulson. And uh, it's funny. I couldn't come up with Rob Paulson's name. I had to reach for it. What the fuck? (laughs) Pinky and the what and the who. So anyway, Uh, You know, and so you're a community, you're just reading different scripts and, you know, you just, you kind of leave there going, God, I wish I was on this show. They looks like they have a lot of fun or, you know, you leave it and going, boy, that, that director really cracks the whip over them. But, you know, you're guesting and you, you realize that you're there to, you know, just for one, but you're there also to make sure everybody has a great time. So, you know, it's not as intimidating. Like I guessed it on an episode of the facts of life in uh, 1987. And um, there, there, I felt like I was like, really like, not even like a visiting, like a visiting cousin or anything like that. It was Mm -hmm. like this sort of who are you kind of energy, even though the girls and Clooney could not have been friendlier and nicer. And by the end of the week, I was up in Nancy McKeon's dressing room with, they'd all brought their little micro cassette recorders. And I was recording celebrity impressions for all of their answering machines and like half the cast came to see me at the comedy store i think george came too actually and came came to see my set at the comedy store uh you know during the week i was shooting but then when you're done that that that's it you know you're you're out of the family now but you know it was a great time but when you know when you're guesting on cartoons you know you're going to see everybody again uh, in different permutations so it's just a little more um a little bit more of a support group kind of a thing. Mm. You know, the, the director style is maybe something that each time you, but then you do it enough and you get to know each director and how they work. You know, Gordon Hunt was like, 
you know, he was a terrific director, but he got it out of you in one or two takes. He did not like to spend a whole bunch of time. And then there was another director who shall go nameless, who, you know, just like to just hammer it until he, until you had, you had to take a line reading from him. And Mm -hmm. then, and then, you know, five times on the line reading. And it's just, it's a different way of working. You know? mm-hmm. Interesting. How like uh, clicky can the voice actor world become? Like, is it uh, you know, is it like the Crucible, or is it something where it's kind of like uh, uh, <laughs> from know? zero to Crucible? <laughs> there we go. I actually I couldn't even guess how uh, many SAG card carrying voiceover actors there are. Maybe you know a ballpark, but I'm wondering like how easy is it for people to kind of uh, make a mistake? And then they're they're ousted out, or is it kind of like everybody grows and we all are supportive? I'm sure it's a mixture, but very curious. I think that voiceover is probably the closest thing to a meritocracy that we've got mm. in 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 the show business. If you're mm-hmm. good, if you can do the work, if you have good separation of your characters, and if you're a if you're an actor. If you're a good actor, when I say if you're good, that's what I mean. Because that's the key thing. People think voice acting is all about the voices. It's really all about the acting. Right. You know, and having multiple voices is is extra, you know, holiday sauce. Uh, but there are some people that only have one one voice or one or two voices that they do. And they work constantly because people fall in love with that voice. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, it's especially in the announcing world, in the promo announcing world, you know, you've got you know, a guy like my friend Andy Geller, who's the deep voice guy, you know, he's tonight on Lost. You know, wow. I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, people, people book him because that's the sound and that's the, it gives them that sense of mystery. And yet there's times he can also make, you know, infuse it with great excitement or sometimes he can do it really warmly and it's like a hug, but it's all his voice. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not as closed as, 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 as it may seem, certainly not from the actor's end, you know, mm-hmm. we are like whenever a new guy walks in, like when, you know, Jeff Bennett walked into the first bonkers session uh, as a series regular in, in the, in the, in the nineties, uh, the show bonkers of, out of Disney that didn't know what it wanted to be when it grew up. But um, <laughs> I mean, they changed the entire concept halfway through. It was bizarre, but yeah. I turned and I did a double take on, on, on Bennett, on Jeff Glenn Bennett, and went, who's this guy? Wow, he's really good. And the same with Bowser. I mean, Eric Bowser. Oh, he's this, amazing. This phenomenon out of Toronto. I have to admit, there was a part of me going, wait, I'm the guy that does a million voices from Toronto. <laughs> Even yeah. Jim Carrey stopped doing impressions and became a movie star. That's my thing. <laughs> but I, I mean, Eric is such a nice guy and he's so yeah. fucking talented. I just sort of, you know, I'm so go, glad you brought yeah. him up. The kid, yeah. yeah, the kid from Toronto. Here he is, <laughs> <laughs> my worthy successor. <laughs> you know, no. he's so great, and yeah. you know, I mean, he's both Bugs and Daffy in the new Looney Tunes. Yeah, um, and he was in the Ren and Stimpy reboot, wasn't he? He, yes, uh, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. He. I'm so glad that you brought him up because I feel like you know he's becoming a superstar in the voice acting world and i think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that he's appeared especially in the last 10 years on so many animated projects like i write a lot for animation and he's i think been an, a voice actor on like three different 
things that I've written for. And every time that I hear that he's coming in, I'm like so excited because he, like yourself, is, I believe, like one of the rock stars of the voice acting community and, and just a workhorse that can go in drop into a voice get it done and kind of like true to what you're saying as well of the diversity of voices i think that that's something that people don't really think about when they think about breaking into voice acting and like what it takes you know to have those differences between your voices so you can be you know anything that they need for that moment and it doesn't sound like the same person over and over it doesn't sound like a celebrity voice for lack of a better example and to top it all off he's a supremely nice guy who's great to work with and is you know it, it gets joins in the fun and you know and 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 leads the fun now that he's so established and you know people just love working with it's the key be you know i'm not giving a tutorial here but being being great to work with being a pleasure is probably Absolutely. as important i mean if you've got a super talented asshole and a super talented great guy they're going to book the super talented great guy Right. So I've done my impression of a great guy all these years. <laughs> but at home, I I'm, they know me here. They 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 actually know what I'm really all about. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any favorite shows from the 80s, 90s era that you can recall off the top of your head? Or do they all kind of congeal into a nice, pleasant puzzle piece? You know, um, there always have to be ones that, that stand out. And they're always the ones with... The best casts and the best writing. I mean, unsung shows like um, Tasmania, right? You know, mm. working with working with Art Vitello. I mean, the the thing was so it had this kind of riffy feel to it. I mean, I got to play. You know, I auditioned for the voice of the dad of of Taz's dad, and I did Bing Crosby. <laughs> and so, you know, because there's such a great counterpoint. There he is in a golf shirt, and there's his son. <laughs> Well, what do you mean, Taz? I don't know. He sure smells like a dog. He's got terrible breath, you know. And 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 so about you know ten episodes in, Art just goes, you know what? We're going to give you a brother. He's going to sound like Bob Hope. And I was like, hey, that sounds fantastic. And I did an entire episode as Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and Rob Paulson and Jim Cummings just kind of you know, sat there and did a few lines at the beginning and a few lines at the end. And we go off on this road trip, this road adventure. Meaning I go off on this road adventure as these two guys. And to give myself separation, I actually brought in a golf club. So that whenever <laughs> I was whenever I was talking as as Bob Hope, I put the golf club in my hand so I would remind myself <laughs> not not to talk like Bing Crosby. I so you know, it was I love how I put that like I'm like like I'm ten. Talk like Bing Crosby. <laughs> acting boy, acting, <laughs> acting dear boy. So you know, so Tasmania, I mean, the, the writing was just funny and it was a great cast and a great feel. I mean, we used to come in and we, you know, I think we started comic book Friday because, because we'd come in and for the first half hour, we wouldn't even get near the mics. We'd be out in the lounge and everybody had gone to the various comic book stores and, you know, we're doing our show, show me's, you know, it's like, what'd you get? Oh yeah, I got that one. Got that. Oh <laughs> shit, I missed that one. You know, Cummings, big comic book collector, me, Vitello, you know, Rob Paulson, he collects these things called cars, but you know, <laughs> whatever. He couldn't really join in, but it was great. And the critic, I mean, come on, yeah. Mike Reese and Al Jean and and all of that crew of tremendous writers with Jim Brooks at the helm, and and getting to work with with Judith Ivy. I mean, you know, Tony winning Judith Ivy. Yeah. And, 
and Garrett Graham, who I loved in Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, you know, I just rewatched that. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Same with Julia. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, first, first season, Brenda Vaccaro, uh, you know, was tremendous. And then, you know, in the second season, uh, uh, Rhea Perlman was fantastic too. Uh, I always hate to see actors get recast, but I know there was, you know, there was something with the negotiations and whatever. Sure. You know, God, God bless them both. They were both terrific as the ex-wife. And then Lovitz. I love Lovitz. <laughs> I yeah. loved, I loved working with him. I learned so much <laughs> from John Lovitz in those two seasons. So, you know, he just, yeah, he was just, and he, he kind of adopted me. And, you know, I was, you know, in that starstruck phase of going, wow, this guy likes me. I guess I'm kind of okay. This guy from Saturday Night Live, I guess I'm all right. <laughs> so looking through uh, some of your credits, just in terms of my own childhood, some of the things that really spoke to me, we've talked about obviously Pinky the Brain and, you know, Inspector Gadget, but uh, Hey Arnold was one of my very favorite shows ever. Oh, yeah. To this day, oh, yeah. it still is so, I haven't seen another show like that really. That it was, it was that unique gentle... to its time. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Bob Attacki is such a great character and such an important character because Helga, you know, being kind of the the villain, I guess, of the show, the sympathetic anti-hero type character. You need to understand her home life to really give her some sympathy because she's such a bully. And I think that the parents are are so great. And uh, and Big Bob was one of my favorite characters, even as, you know, not knowing anyone like that growing up. I just thought, like, there are people out there in the world just like that. And he feels so real. And I could I, – my dad is so so not like Bob, but I knew people must have had parents like that. And it actually helped me even have more empathy towards bullies. And it made me think of like, yeah, it would be a lot of pressure to have a, a guy who's kind of this, this, this big man, macho guy who, who's obsessed with his business and doesn't put his kids first. And I, I don't know what that's like, but I wonder if some of the bullies at my school are, are experiencing kind of this, this guy who loves his kids, but just doesn't prioritize them. And I thought the character was also sympathetic and I think that all comes from, uh, yeah, the, the, the acting is just so real there and all the, all the voices that you, uh, do and the acting that you do, like really makes them full people and not just these two dimensional characters. Bless you for saying that. It's, it's, I appreciate the compliment, but I've got to give it up to the writing and, and the creation of the, of the world that Craig Bartlett did. This, sure. these, these were, this was simultaneously a cartoon and yet probably one of the most real, uh, you know, organic kind of f feels to to the emotional life of all the characters and 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 the place that the neighborhood they're in, the building. He, Craig really did not go for the joke. You know, it was always about character, mm -hmm. and in the truest sense. And it was a kind of a sad world. Yes, but they all held each other up. You know, they all held each other up. Each of them had tragedies. And, you know, the thing, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't touch on the brilliant Kath Susie when I was talking about the critic. She was so fantastic on that, but her portrayal of Miriam. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and the idea that Craig created an alcoholic home without ever yeah. using the word alcohol. Yeah. But I mean, you know, she is a drunk. And she's that kind of drunk that's always maintaining that just beyond buzzed, but not quite fit chased, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, but, you know, 
what kind of life is it when you come in and find your mom asleep on the floor behind oh. the couch? You yeah. know, I mean, the, the that was so brilliant. And then I used that, you know, I was newly sober when I got cast in that. And I was beginning to study the dynamic of alcoholic families. You know, being an alcoholic myself, I wanted to know how it was affecting other people. So I began to go in Al-Anon meetings and read Codependent No More. And 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 so I I meant to, I mean, I there's a conscious decision on my part to infuse Big Bob with the idea that he has to keep it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the mother and the father and the breadwinner. And the only thing he felt comfortable with was breadwinner. Yeah. He couldn't really get in touch with his tender feelings. And he was so angry at Miriam that she couldn't step up to the plate as a mom. Mm. And yet the one episode where she quit drinking the smoothies, you know, I don't yeah. know if you remember that episode, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we we all called it Miriam gets sober, except you know, it only lasted an episode. Suddenly he didn't know his place in the world. And yeah. that's what happens in alcoholic families when the alcoholic gets clean and sober. All of a sudden, right. you know, especially when it's the, you know, the, the more standard version and, you know, mom's been working and mom's been running the house. And, you know, as, as the old 30s literature that was written when, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was formed, mom was wearing the family trousers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's very you know, yeah, arcane, that's... but it's true in the mm-hmm. sense of she you was know, taking on everything. Uh, it, it throws everybody for a loop. So it almost had to go back to the way it was by the end of the episode. Yeah. Hey Arnold was just something I'd point to and I'd go, I'm really proud of that. And I'm really yeah. proud yeah, that, you you know, of, of, that, that I've got a friendship with Craig Bartlett to, Bartlett to this day. And he writes on a level and he and his staff wrote on a level that wasn't being explored in cartoons yeah. at that time. And did you, you know, fun fact, he's, He's well. I mean, uh, he and Lisa are divorced now, but he was Matt Groening's brother-in-law. Oh wow! So, wow. Yeah, yeah. His wife, his wife Lisa, his ex-wife now Lisa Groening, was the model for Lisa Simpson. <laughs> yes, of course. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that we're talking about Harold because I mean, I echo all of your sentiments about it. I feel like I bring it up like god once a month at least in talking about like writing for kids animation because there's something so risky about all of the themes that they explored and you know the world that they built and the way that you're talking about it like you know just those kind of like hard lessons that i feel like the current environment for kids animation is so scared of everything has to be sanitized and you know, all from the studio down to even some of these showrunners that are like, we don't want to do anything that's going to possibly upset or be misconstrued in a way. But, you know, these are real themes and this is real life. And that's something that I'm so grateful for shows like Hey Arnold. And I'll say a little bit like with Doug, too, and some of these other shows mm-hmm. from that era that, you know, Pepper we're Ann. talking down. Pepper, oh my gosh, I'm, Pepper Ann, I wanted to bring that up too. I mean, that's an Anachka Khan creation or not creation, but she was part of that initial push and she's one of my favorite uh, writers and showrunners. And I felt like that, you know, it it was like all of these really great shows that I feel grateful to have been part of, you know, that like generation that had it kind of curate my formative years and I think has made me a better creative as an adult. You know, because it it wasn't sanitized. Well, you could. I mean, you couldn't pay a higher compliment to the show creators and writers by saying that. I mean, that you know, and do carry that forward because we do need you know, we need deep stuff you know, and yeah. and shows about 
how tough it is to navigate childhood and adolescence. And, you know, I, I, I had, I had the good luck to be cast as, as a character that I dealt with growing up part of my life, the, the distant yet charming father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was Chuck. I was, I was, I was Pepper Ann's father, Chuck. And I deliberately infused him with Cary Grant's voice <laughs> because uh, that's who he, he was. He was supposed to be this larger than life figure that was always either over the phone. We didn't meet him until I think season two, mm-hmm, but he yeah. was always on the phone and putting her off in a very nice way about something he had to do that was more important than being over. And mm-hmm. I love my father, but business always came first. My father was a very dashing man. Um, he was five foot eight, but he had that kind of movie star quality about him. And, wore, you know, he was just, he was a guy that like, you know, he walked into a room and people turned and went, who's that guy? You know, he was just <laughs> so good looking. He looked like a combination of, of Paul Newman and Guy Williams. Remember how Guy about, Williams? About. Remember Guy Williams Zorro? <laughs> or was that Guy Madison? Which guy was that? Who was that guy? I'll take all the guys. How about that? The Robinson's father, the, the, yes, the yes, Zorro. Yes. Yeah. So he, he looked like a combination of those two guys, blue, blue eyes. And, uh, you know, he's just a larger than life figure to me. And, but he was, he was, his attention was unattainable. And so I, I was well familiar with the kind of guy Chuck was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really, uh, uh, just an honor to be able to be in, be part of that show because I know a lot of young women who really identified with Pepper Ann and yeah. Kathleen Wilhoyt was so fantastic. And, and, uh, April Winchell as the mom was just the, their their relationship was such such a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. So anyway, please, I want to see her. I want to see her return to this for the young people of today to a show that speaks to them and about the difficulty of navigating a childhood Absolutely. in a world that's way too freaking busy sometimes. Oh you know? yeah. I'm trying my best. Now we're internalized. (laughs) Now we're all looking at our friggin' screens, you know. It's a different kind of lack of attention. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, great. And the last show I just want to mention when you say about shows to point to in the 90s, I mean, I'm sure if I looked out, you know, looked on the IMDb, uh, I'd come up with a few more. But Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys, which only lasted one season, created by my my dear and now sadly departed friend Gordon Bressack. He created a, a... a really good science fiction show disguised as an afternoon syndicated cartoon. But I mean, we had the cream of the crop of, of Star Trek and Babylon five uh, and, and movie science fiction in the cast. We had, we had writers from Star Trek, uh, you know, wow. that, that wrote the show. Um, you know, Michael Dorn was in the show. Uh, Malcolm McDowell was in the show. Wow. David Warner, uh, David Carradine. I mean, one more, I call Jerry from Babylon five uh, mm. played uh, uh, played uh, Garibaldi. I mean, God, I remember I, I met Jerry when Jerry moved to town from Chicago and what, he'd been a stockbroker and he decided he wanted to be an actor and he was in my acting class. And I was like, he, I was in awe of him because he was so relaxed with it. He was like, hey, listen, you know, I, I got out of Wall Street just in time before the hammer fell down. Nothing the acting world's got got is going to scare me. You know, Jerry <laughs> Doyle was just, he was like a hero because it's like, I was so intimidated with the love me, love me, love me thing. And I got from him that it's just a business, you wow, know, just yeah. walk in, do your job and leave. Mm-hmm. God bless Jerry Doyle, who's also left us. But uh, mm-hmm. that was a tremendous thing. We had some fantastic scripts on that show. That's so awesome. it just translated to really good sci-fi. So those are my those are my top four unsung or not sung enough 
uh, animated things from the nineties. Do you know if that uh, that is on DVD or on YouTube anywhere for for those of us who didn't Captain catch Simeon, it? I think mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think you can catch it on YouTube. Yeah, great. Um, or VHS. Very cool. eBay's <laughs> <Hey. laughs> yeah. uh, market. So, listeners, we're going to give you a minute to try and find that on VHS at a yard sale, although don't do that if it, the quarantine is still happening, please. Um, or if you could find it on YouTube, link to us, or we'll do the same. Uh, and we'll be right back. Strange planets, curious technology, and a fantastic vision of the distant future. Featuring Martin Starr. So we're going on day 14. Shuttle still hasn't come. Aparna Nancherla. The security system provides you with emotional security. You do the rest. Echo Kellum. Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry Kondabolu. I'm staying. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jeffrey McGiver. Could you play Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun? It's The Outer Reach. Stories from Beyond. Now available for free at MaximumFun.org or anywhere you listen. Hey, we're back. Hey, welcome back. (laughs) We're here with Maurice Lamarge, voice acting legend. (laughs) Although not with that voice. (laughs) What the fuck is that, Bo? I don't know. I loved it, though. So we've gone from the 90s. Now we're going into the 2000s. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, your IMDb just won't quit. I feel like you have touched on almost every animated thing that's happened during this era, including not a rival show because it was part of Film Roman, but you were also um, various voices on King of the Hill. What was that experience like? Oh, well, that was that was interesting because that was probably the most I, I'll put it simply. It was an animated show that didn't need to be an animated show. Totally. It was a good sitcom, but nothing happened on the show except for maybe every now and again the flashback into, you know, Hank's, you know, brain and the way that his father was designed with the, you know, the no kneecaps that, that yeah, yeah. his feet to his thighs. Other than that, nothing happened on that show that needed to be a cartoon. Yeah. So you really had to have your acting chops up. And, you know, again, it wasn't joke a minute, laugh a minute. Right. Uh, it was good stories with characters you love. It was uh, a real treat whenever I got to work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so it was uh, uh, just an all around positive experience. And I wish I'd gotten to do more of them. Totally. I think shows like that really influence like F is for family and yeah. uh, a lot of other shows that are that kind of dry, small. It sounds bad. It sounds like very unappetizing, this dry, small thing. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like an intimate world that is very real. And I think, you know, like because I, I that's sort of the classic statement about King of the Hill, that like it doesn't need to be animated. And, you know, we've talked a lot through this current iteration of our podcast but the previous one as well of how simpsons specifically always had to have that one scene or something to justify the animation you go into homer's head you see what's going on you see this daydream you know play out the other 
very wacky, not of this world kind of stuff. But there's something to me that like, I never thought of like, this doesn't need to be animated with King of the Hill and with Everest for Family as a negative. To me, it just felt like, oh, that's just another step closer to this be- feeling like a real world that I want to spend time with and real people that I consider my friends. And I agree. Like, I think that for that, you would need to have your acting chops together and I I imagine you can't really hide behind a wacky voice to sell a character. You have to kind of really think about like, how am I going to make this character come to life in a way that it isn't using all of those sort of wacky gimmicks for lack of a better term. Yeah. Everything was very contained. Uh, In fact, the episode where I played the archeologist, they, I actually was scratch tracking Alan Alda. They oh, wanted fun. Alan Alda for oh, it. Oh wow! And so I just I just went in and did scratch, and I read it. I read it down with the cast in the table read, and and did it at the did it at the session, and we did it in the same uh, theater uh, uh, dubbing theater that we did the critic. I, I just knew I was going to be replaced by Alan Alda, and then uh, Alda passed, and they went, you know what? We like what you did so much that we're kind of glad he passed. Oh so, my god! Um, <laughs> yeah. Because we, 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 you know, we were worried we were going to have to go line by line and have them match your rhythms because they'd already started animating it. And they said, "We like what you did. So let's just we're going to leave you in there." I was like, "Great, thanks." And it really was. I I wish that the pastor had stayed on longer though. He mm. was fun because he was a he was a bit Bob Newhartish, but not all the way to Bob Newhart. Just that kind of stumbling, fumfering so kind of guy. Like mm-hmm. I said smaller and more specific characters, not big. How you doing there? Right, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Ed, Ed Wynn would have no place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Scratch Track, just for people that don't know that are listening, is the temp audio that you record for usually the earlier part of the animation production when they're just putting the animatic together or they're just trying to edit something and just have some sort of what they call a radio play for when they're animating to it, just so people aren't like are you doing a dj term i don't know that's the worst <laughs> scratch <laughs> track pulled. what's a scratch i know track? god i'm turning you? into dad jokes <laughs> is that a track that you do to earn just a little money yeah Some scratch? yeah yeah that's better there you go. that's a good punch yeah. up <laughs> sorry ali you were saying uh well just i really like that uh it seems that a, a lot of the influences that you have or the people that uh, you seem to gravitate towards do have kind of grounded or you find kind of like the mellifluousness to to the average voice and um like i've been rewatching bob newhart because you know because we're all on lockdown we kind of are finally having enough time to watch all the shows that we want to watch and i feel like i've watched a lot of great stuff but really just wanted some comfort food and put on the bob newhart show which is on hulu on hulu and it's if anyone hasn't seen it you you have to it's excellent so many amazing talented, the first funny one people. the one where he's a psychologist right yes and yeah. uh yeah not new created by the way created by the way by lorenzo music mm. who was the first voice of venkman on the tv show real ghostbusters wow Wow, it all comes back to your IMDb. Wow. Lorenzo, Lorenzo was, Lorenzo and his partner, David Davis, created that show, you know? Yeah. And so go, 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 go ahead. I just thought. Oh, sure, like, sure. That's so interesting. To the animated <laughs> That's world. great. Uh, but when Bob Newhart appears on The Simpsons, it maybe is one of the hardest times I've ever laughed, just because like you realize how rare that very normal guy's voice really is, you know, to, to, to someone who doesn't like study voices, like you would think like, yeah, he's just kind of a shy guy. He's a shy character, but like, 
um, there, there's so much happening in his voice. And then obviously yeah. there's so much happening in Bing Crosby's voice. And, um, <laughs> growing up, like I, I really loved the Ichabod Crane, uh, Disney movie, um, that he narrates. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is finally on Disney plus too. I've been having to buy it every year because <laughs> I don't like have a DVD player or anything. Oh so gosh, I keep, really? I keep <laughs> buying it on, a, on Apple and it's like, I've spent $50 on that movie. Um, I love it. <laughs> but, um, that character, uh, or not character, he's just, uh, doing the narration, but like you guys have both seen that movie. I'm sure. Of course, yeah. Um, but my dad and I always really loved, uh, when he's describing like the love interest, I forget if her name is like Francesca or something similar, but he goes, boy and it's just like this very bouncy (laughs) (laughs) but like that whistle leading into boy it's like this like (laughs) that's that's of another era style of voice acting that i truly miss yeah Um, the more like kind of tex avery style (laughs) oh yeah 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 um but yeah i really love you know a lot of your most iconic voices like obviously you have the gift of that deep voice that could be like smooth and and a lot of people couldn't do that if they tried with all their might uh you were you were born with some some great genes for voice acting but the choices you make are so superb and i i love that you know um i don't know it it's what first comes to mind about the characters like that's what first comes to mind when you think of um you know, when you think of Pinky in the Brain, you're just like, oh, well, of course. I I think of that. And like, you know, like there are other characters where you think of something else first. It's it's hard to explain, but like, you know, I don't I, I could love a character and maybe not even remember necessarily how they sounded. I just remember their catchphrase or their mannerisms. And yeah, all of your characters are, are just so ingrained in my brain and so many generations of brains. Well, Ali, you were very kind to say so, and when I take over the world, you <laughs> shall be spared. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes, well, my dear. Really quick, how did you get on Quizala? <laughs> how did I get on Quizala? <laughs> Quizala chose me, man. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why that guy is like just like. He loves you so much. I know, and I love him. But I was like, you know, I feel so lucky that somebody so talented and young and up and coming is like, I've got, I want to put you in my next one. I'm going to put you in my next one. I was like, anything you want, Joe. He's obsessed. I I just, I totally let go of any idea of being on camera pretty much after, you know, Facts of Life, you know, where I played Rod Serling. I I just, you know, voiceovers was exploding and I just went, well, I guess. I guess I'm not supposed to. And I started to put on a little weight. I got a little lazy, started getting a little paunchy. And, and, you know, uh, so, you know, and, and, and my agent at the time just said, well, you're not fat enough to be a character actor, but you're, <laughs> you know, you're a little too heavy to be a leading man or a comedic leading man. Lose 20 pounds. I can never lose the 20 pounds. But so I let go of being on camera and you're, along comes Joe Quazala. And just wants to stick me in everything. And then Adam Murray put me in his movie. And yes. I've got a new thing where I'm just, I will say yes to, you know, almost any on-camera offer. You know, any little small <laughs> film. You heard that here, folks. It does not involve nudity. <laughs> and by, and by nudity, I mean my nudity. Everybody else can be naked. I got to work clothes. Okay. <laughs> When you're preparing for an on-camera role, as you mentioned before, voice acting is acting, but there are obviously, uh, there's a new uh, layer, which is your human form entering uh, when you are doing on-camera work. How how does that feel different for you, and and do you do anything different in terms of mentally preparing? The the great thing about 
animation is this is the same great thing about acting for radio no memorization you know <laughs> so of course there's memorization with on camera so that that adds a new dimension and that adds you know many you know, evenings of going, I've got to, I've got to do my lines. I, honey, I can't eat dinner. I've got to do my lines. Oh, all right. It, all right. Dinner. Then, you know, I show up the next day going, well, that pizza was great, but I don't know my lines. But no, um, she, it, I mean, it's, it, there is an added set of tools to it. You know, obviously as the, as the hackneyed phrase goes, hitting your mark and knowing mm-hmm. your eye line, even if the other actor isn't there, you know, it's, it's just, fun for me to reactivate that stuff. Cause I mean, I started out as a stand up comic and doing on camera, I did a couple of on camera things in Canada and, uh, and a little bit, you know, a little bit here. Um, there was a movie, you know, I did a feature film called funny farm about stand up comedians. It yeah. Also starred Howie Mandel and Mike McDonald, God rest his soul. And, and Eileen Brennan. Oh my God. How fantastic was she? <laughs> anyway. Um, so you know, it's it still gets back to inhabiting the character, being the character, finding who in you, what part of you is that character, and and uh, and bringing it about. Because there is a part of me that is Big Bob Pataki. I mean, I didn't make him up out of whole cloth. Yeah, he's written that way, but I've got a bit of bluster to me at times. I've got a little yeah. bit of you know, yeah. when my wife is cooking, <laughs> and when my wife is is cooking, there's a little Big Bob that comes out where I go, "Why are you using a steak knife to?" to chop the tomatoes. (laughs) I've got a perfectly good chef's knife there that's just for that. You know, use this. And she likes to I'm sure Quar with with you is a joy for moments like that. Oh my God. I have learned to shut my friggin' mouth. (laughs) Quarantine has taught me nothing more. It's when to shut the hell up. I think all of us have learned that lesson. There's that part of me that's just like, ah, you know, why why don't you clean as you go? I'm a Kago cook, you know? (laughs) Clean as you go. Ah, you know, and what I've learned instead is that while she's cooking, I pick up her, you know, the vegetable choppings and I just quietly put them in the trash and I just don't make a big deal about it. You know, I mean, we had to come, there were some birth pangs. There was a, there was a, uh, there was a, there was a fight around week two. And I, I mean, verbal, um, <laughs> but there was, there was a, there was a moment around week two where we, you know, we didn't know if we were going to make it because there was just screaming and yelling and, 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 uh, you know, it was all about a trifle and this quarantine has been good to kind of tamp down my big Bob Pataki and you know, <laughs> kind of bring up my, bring up my Lorenzo music. You know, <laughs> I love Lorenzo. He was great. Oh. Tell you one thing about quick Lorenzo music story, yeah. because you brought in the Bob Newhart show. He also created Rhoda yes. and, on Ghostbusters, I actually asked him one day, I said, I, I, you know, he was Garfield already. Now he was being Venkman. And I, I said to him, you know, newbie that I was and still in awe of the big show business. You know, it's like I always saw like, you know, sitcoms and TV dramas and feature films as, you know, something that was way up there on a pedestal. And I, I, it was OK for me to keep myself small and do, you know, these cartoons. But, you know, that was like so unattainable and oh my God, especially if it had already been on the air. And I went to Lorenzo, I said, like, why would you do this? Why do you want to be a voice actor? Don't you miss the power of being a big producer? And he said, what power? (laughs) You mean like a wardrobe girl comes into my office and goes, so should Rhoda wear the red dress or the blue dress? And I look and go, I don't know, the blue dress. (laughs) 
And she <laughs> leaves. That power? He said, believe me, my young friend. I have more power as a voice actor because my power comes directly from what I'm able to give to my performance. Uh, that's from me out to the world. That's power. I love voice acting because it's just my voice. It's just me. And if I can give a good performance, just my voice, that's power. And I was like, I never forgot that. I was like, wow, we're real. we really are doing something cool. That's beautiful. Uh, Lorenzo was a beautiful guy. I mean, he was a spiritual guy. He was subdued. He was just, uh, you know, a, he came through the tragedy of losing his child uh, and went on, you know, became, I mean, just, you know, and, 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 and rebuilt his life, he and his wife. Um, and just a, a deeply lovely fellow. That's amazing. Um, I love hearing that. I miss him very much. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's so, it's so nice to talk to you about, um, kind of it's just nice to to pull back the curtain a little bit and 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 just see like what a real human being you are and like how Aww. much you know it just really is mm-hmm. wonderful it's it was such a joy talking to you last time well, and thank you yeah i feel like yeah. Honestly, i didn't do a lot of voices today i feel like i'm letting down your listeners <laughs> well they, there are still a few heard. minutes left <laughs> oh good well then perhaps i can regale them with my unholy acting talent <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's a well, perfect place. Here's a little sum for your trouble. Oh, no. <laughs> it's sterilized money. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I could really use that. Oh God! You know, no. I you notice how nobody wants to touch cash these days. It's true. It's all, some yeah. some it's people won't even won't, take it. They won't. They won't. I bought flowers for my wife for her birthday. We both had uh, quarantined birthdays. I'm March 30th. She's April 16th. And I went to go, you know, to drive up, and they came to bring them out to the car. And I, you know, I, I had money plus extra for a tip. She like said, I cannot accept cash, sir. I'm so oh. sorry. Can you, you know, it's a credit card. And, you know, I gave her my credit card. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. I mean, money's dirty, but also not to make it political, but that's classist. A lot of pe- people don't even have credit cards or debit right? cards these days. Exactly. That makes me so sad, especially if no, like no. what you're like, I saw some grocery stores, not even fancy ones, like say that they don't take cash and that, that made me sad. I'm sure there are places that it's fine, but it's it's hard to not think about like all the people that are getting screwed over right now, which is why we make funny podcasts talking to nice, funny people to cheer yes, us up. Yes, because when, when you're laughing, you're not thinking about how shitty life is. <laughs> yeah, you got to laugh sometimes to keep from crying. That's what I always Exactly say. right. Uh, well, Maurice, this has been a highlight of my quarantine so far, and Julia, I'm sure oh. she could say the same. Uh, and you. of mine. Oh, good. I've enjoyed it so much. I always love hanging out with you. You uh, guys are great. Oh, good. And we'll, you know, it, it would be nice to get together where we could actually see each other's faces and the egg yolk stains all in all, you know. And uh, <laughs> I hope you so we'll, keep it on. Do not launder. <laughs> so we'll find we'll find a time uh, as soon as if ever this lifts. Uh, but until then, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a thank treat you for, for us. having me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Holly, and thank um, you so much. Before we leave, do you have anything that you want to plug at this time? Anything like, you know, Twitter? I will be going downstairs and making shakshuka, <laughs> which also can, contains eggs. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's the plug? What's the plug? Well, I guess I can talk about it now. Hulu is reviving Animaniacs. Ah! 
That is known, but what the, what is not known, but is now being confirmed by Warner Brothers, is that we are back. The yeah. original voice cast is back, so we're making new Pinky in the Brains. Yay! Uh, out of out of our home studios, we are we are doing quarantine. Uh, yeah. uh, I've had to upgrade my home studio like nobody's business. I'm talking to you on a Sennheiser 416 Amazing. Uh, in my house because. You know, I had to bring bring it up. I used to just record auditions in the closet on my iPhone, and now I've got a full working studio streaming. Um, yeah. So, so there's that coming up. I'm a, I'm in a slate of new Rick and Mortys that are coming up. So exciting! And, um, yeah, so that's that's the stuff I can talk about. Of course, we're working on seasons three and four of Disenchantment as we speak. Such a good so, show! Yes, yeah, such a good show. I, I'm, I'm pleased. Please do watch. And if you want to follow me on the social meds. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Maurice LaMarche, all one word, M-A-U-R-I-C-E-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E. Yes. And, but on, on Insta, uh, there's an underscore between my first and last name, Maurice underscore LaMarche, at Maurice underscore LaMarche. Go Beautiful. to those places, follow him right, You guys on were one of my first Insta, you were one of my first Insta posts, that wonderful yes. pic we took in oh. the elevator is one of my very first Insta posts. Oh, wow. oh. I didn't know that. That's yes, great. Yes, the three of us are there. I love oh. that. Um, well, we'll have to take a picture of us in our minds right now. And, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, Don't Julia. forget the egg stain. <laughs> Julia, where can people find you? Ah, thanks so much for asking. I'm at Julia Prescott and all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You could find me at Allie Gertz and all the things. And you could find us at Simpsons Pod. And, and oh, you take Do you it. want to say it together? <laughs> yeah, let's try it. One, two, round, three. Uh, round, round Springfield. Nope. Is a, nope, that's not going to happen. That was terrible again. Go, go again. We do really, it again. I've I've lost everything in this choir. I, I like don't know how to even have a phone call with my mom. I'm just like, ah, what are words? Thank you for the word choir, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will carry that forward. To the world. Look it's at each other's like elbows when you do it. Exactly right. <laughs> Uh, you, you, how about every other word? Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We're a member supported show. You take it from here. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Smell you later. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.